Hello, everyone. It's Nathan Hayes, IDEX Practice Finance Consultant, with another Focal Point podcast. And for this episode, Focal Point, what I want to do is is run through a couple of news articles, and we'll call this one um, Nathan's take on the state of uh, the eye care space and independent eye care. And, and I want to call your attention to a couple of uh, trends. Some of this will be a lot of rehashing things that everyone knows, but recent articles, it's worth revisiting. Um, First off, I want to cite uh, an article from Vision Monday. came out late January. Vision Watch, which is run by the Vision Council, puts out uh, a report called... Or Vision Watch is a report put out by the Vision Council. And so they'll track industry trends and economic results. And they put out the record, report for the four qu- uh, quarters ending in quarter three of 2018. So ending October or you know, September 30 of last year. Um, that... Um, there are 1.9 million vision correction users, and the space uh, in terms of retail optical sales were up 2.9% for that trailing 12-month period. That's the best result since 2015. And and just to start with on that, uh, we're in a really healthy industry. Uh, it's growing in terms of dollars spent by consumers, in terms of users overall. And I think that... Um, Whatever, whatever trends, and we'll talk about headwinds as well as we get into this today, you should feel good as, as practice owners, as, as ECPs, maybe employees of a practice that are listening to this, that we're in a good space. Um, economy's healthy by and large. Uh, people are always going to have vision care needs, and right now those are growing. So um, feel, feel good about this overall as the space. Uh, things are looking good and better and as you make decisions, you should assume, by and large, and I know there's market-to-market differences, and some cities are more competitive with more um, more providers in the area. Other cities are less so, or communities are less so. But from a from a just big picture, United States eye care as a whole, things are growing, um, and and so you should feel good. Secondly, a second note in the report that they call attention to. Um, that independent providers were up 4.2% versus 1.8% for traditional retailers. And if you don't know this, this has been the trend for a while, that for, for whatever um, jump retail optical had, say in the 80s and 90s, uh, slowly but surely independent eye care has been clawing back market share from other categories and has been growing uh, every time I've seen it of late. So independent eye care in and of itself is outpacing its retail competition, believe it or not. Um, so good things are happening. Um, now, on to uh, a couple of pressures. Internet sales continue to be a, a theme. It's something people are um, looking at very carefully. Still, online purchases only is about 5% of the total optical products uh, purchased. Now, that's up, and um, you know, not in this article, which we'll link to, but uh, since has it been that online taps out at about 10% of the market, maybe, for, for overall eye care? So, you know, again, there's, there are things changing in the space, and we'll talk about a lot more changes as we get into this, but um, you know, online purchases still remain the same. I was actually surprised to see that Plano Sunwear um, only seven seven and a half percent of Plano sunglasses are purchased online. 
Uh, I would have thought that would be much higher, personally. Um, so, uh, you know, again, for all that, that we hear about online competition, etc., and I know that you're hearing about it in your practice, and you see it in your practices, and some of you more than others, it's, it's not as though the sky is falling on this stuff. Um, it is changing, and, and there will be ongoing pressure to your practices in different ways, just as there has been over the past decades for those of you who have been practicing that long. Uh, but things are broadly looking pretty good. Um, one other thing that jumped out to me, uh, they, they track the number in the report of um, patients that have managed vision care. And uh, managed vision care covered lives were up 1%. That's an initial 1.2 million people covered by managed vision care. Um, and within that group, what they found was that, and, and see if this sounds like patients you would want, uh, I'd have you ask. Um, the following group saw the increase in coverages. Women over the age of 35, adults with higher annual household incomes, and interestingly, they make a note, adults from the Midwest region of the U.S. Um, which is interesting to me because some of the largest, actually one of the largest practices I've ever seen that has, uh, doesn't take vision plans, was Midwestern One Factory Town practice. Um, you can email me or call me about that later if you want to know more. Um, but I will just make the note, and we see it consistently. We follow it on ODs on Facebook. We hear it from you. You know, I want to get rid of VSP, IMED. I want to get rid of these vision care plans that are no good. And and what what my colleagues and I are seeing is, or at least we're asking the question, if you do that, where are you going to get the patients? Because the, who are the big retail spenders? Women over 35, big retail spenders, um, people with higher incomes that you want, those patients who can spend money in your practice. If more and more of them are getting covered, then the patients you want are, are going to want to be able to use their benefits in your practice. So you know, consider that as you're making decisions. Uh, again, it's, this is not something I celebrate. I am merely commenting on, on industry trends. But as in, in most markets, um, what I would tell you is that you know, one doctor, maybe, you can get all your patients without vision plans. And most of the practices I see, you know, if you want to go the non-vision plan route, if you're in a market that will even allow it, um, your maximum income potential or revenue potential, say, is probably about 900, maybe 1.1 million. And depending on who you are and what your goals are, what typically will happen in that case is you're going to hire an associate because you don't want to do all the work in your practice. And to fill his or her schedule, you know what? You're going to take some vision plans. And it's okay. You don't want to see those patients. Fine. But uh, the pool of patients that have disposable income that are not covered by a vision plan is shrinking. I will just make that note. And bear it in mind as you think about what you're doing in your practices. So that's uh, that's sort of the macro take on um, on the industry as a whole trends. We uh, so big picture, the category is growing. We are seeing more users of um, vision correction products. We are seeing um, growth in independent eye care over and above its retail competition. Online continues to grow and will be a pressure point, and managed care continues to gain some ground modestly uh, in terms of covered lives. There are fewer and fewer uncovered patients uh, that don't have a vision care plan. Um, another article, this is from uh, January 22nd, it floated, I don't know how it got to my inbox. 
Um, LA Times headline: Wire glasses so expensive, the eyewear industry pre- prefers to keep that that blurry. Now, I don't know that I've commented on this type of subject matter in this form, so this may be a repeat if you've talked to me at all. Uh, this article has propped up, or a version of it, over the past several years. It is the backbone. It is the backstory of why the founders of Warby Parker started Warby Parker. Um, I, it, it is, in fact, one uh, another iteration of Luxotic as a monopoly and, and gouging patience. Um, and and let, me, let me say this, and, and Luxotic is a partner of ours that, that uh, you know, I personally think does, does a fine job, and I know the history there um, as well. Luxotica Retail might have 18% market share. Luxotica Eyewear Wholesale might have... Actually, Luxotica Retail is probably smaller than that. Might have 18% market share. IMED probably has, and I should have looked this up before this, but you know, no more than forty, probably about thirty-five percent, thirty to thirty-five percent share in, in in the vision care plan space. Um, Luxonica is very, very big. They are not a monopoly, um, and and I don't. I'll just put that aside. Not not being an apologist there necessarily. Here's what I do want um, to note in terms of headwinds to the market. And this is not just true of eye care, it's true of a lot of different industries right now. But there is a prevailing sentiment among your patients, and we'll call them consumers because at some level they are, that old industries have been ripping them off and they are excited to find the next upstart that will take less margin and sell them the same thing for less. I'm going to say that again. This is a consistent theme across multiple industries. Um, and multiple retail industries in particular. In fact, I just listened to a podcast on a um, a new direct-to-consumer luggage uh, provider called Away that you know couldn't find anything good, decided to do it themselves. Great backstory. She actually worked for Warby Parker, the founder of this company, before. But there's a sense that there's pricing is very vague. And it's hard to understand what goes into it. Prices are very high. And there's a sense that people are just getting ripped off. Um, and I, I could send me an email, call me on the phone, and tell you about multiple companies that I shop for that have exactly this story about what they're doing. They're going direct to consumer with premium materials and construction. They're cutting the marketing budget and distribution and saving money that way. Um, if you want to Google a couple... Um, suit supply for menswear. Uh, if you buy watches at all, there's a bunch of upstarts. I've just bought a Brathwaite watch if you want to look that up. Um, men's shoes, Beckett Simonon, interesting model, direct to consumer. They they produce in batches, so it's a five week lag. You order a custom pair of shoes, well, that's not custom, you order a pair of shoes and then they make it to order, basically, uh, to cut costs on distribution. So. There is this, there's a sense of a lot of companies are innovating to find ways to cut costs out of the process of manufacturing and distribution to go to, to consumers. This doesn't help us at all. And I will say this to, to I've said it before, I will say it to you now. Um, one of the biggest pressures I see for our space is we, are, we have got to believe in and justify that the products that you are prescribing and dispensing to your patients... The contact lenses, the glasses, the lenses in particular, but even even the frames, um, that they are better than what people are getting from other sources. 
Um, we have got to make the case uh, if we want to continue to sell lenses at a $500 retail price point that they are better than what you're getting from Warby Parker or Costco. That the service around them is better than what you would get elsewhere. That the frame construction is better than what people can get elsewhere. Because the the consumer sentiment is, and and you know, heavens knows the press is not particularly informed on these things, uh, but LA Times ran it. I'm sure the New York Times run this story. 60 Minutes had it with Luxottica. There is a belief that we are gouging consumers. Um, so, you know, what two things, implications of this. One, as a profession, uh, we have got to make the case and, and understand the difference between uh, different price points. Uh, this is not unique to optometry. My first job was in when the furniture space where you can buy the same looking sofa for everything from $300 to $3,000 or more. Um, and so you've got to understand construction and design and, and we've got to be able to make those cases in our practices. The other thing I'll say is that you need to get creative in your practices and be thinking about how do you have a response just at price points to meet your, your patients' budgets? Um, and, and what kind of step down products can you have in there you know, explaining what people are giving up, but also having a, a product that meets their budgeted needs. Um, so uh, that's that. LA Times just ran the uh, rehash of the 60 Minutes uh, Luxottica interview. Um, and again, consumers are being told, and I read the comments, and everyone, everyone in the comment section says, buy from Zinni, buy online, go to Costco. So... This is in terms of we have tailwinds. There are more and more consumers of glasses. We also have headwinds. There's a prevailing narrative in the marketplace that um, your eye care provider is ripping you off and charging you too much. Now, um, one other piece of good news, and I've talked about private equity uh, a couple years ago, so you can go to history on this or a year ago or so. Um, as we think about transition planning and, and what's coming, I've uh, got an article from Entrepreneur uh, Magazine, entrepreneur.com. Um, 41% of Gen Zers plan to become entrepreneurs, infographic. And I'm going to throw in an anecdote at the end of this, too. So, um, one of the things we've seen, in, in, particularly for uh, older practice owners who are thinking about their exit strategy, is um, I am a millennial and my generation has not been particularly interested in buying and owning practices and running them. Um, I'm sorry for that. <laughs> So a lot of you have um, struggled to find a just to find a, anyone interested in buying your practice when you're ready to retire, um, and it's been stressful and, and painful and, and difficult. And we've seen private equity come in to fill that void somewhat um, and start buying our practices and being a buyer of last resort. Um, it appears demographically that the generation following the millennials is much more interested in business ownership. This is the generation that that saw. Um, all the tech giants, the Zuckerberg generation, and multiple people start their own businesses. Um, they probably don't like being compared to millennials, and, and, and they're, they're very much uh, do-it-themselves, a little more bootstrapping. So this is a good trend. Um, you know, One other anecdote, I was talking to a banker from uh, Wells Fargo, a lender in their, their practice finance division the other day, and, and on this note, just generally to eye care and, and private equity and big trends that are happening in our space. Um, and I asked him, you know, because they, they, those guys will work with, he works with um, dentists, a ton of veterinarians, um, some chiropractors, I think some dermatology, some other private practices. So those specialty groups work with, you know, the, the medical disciplines that still have a lot of independent practices. And 
his, um, and I asked him, so what are you seeing in these other spaces? He said, it's really interesting. We're seeing a ton of dental activity for new practice startups. Now, this might be part of a Gen Z thing starting to push out. But his comment to me was, and, and um, you've seen a ton of roll-ups and private equity roll-ups in, um, in the dental space. They probably started five, three to five, maybe seven years ahead of optometry in terms of real um, investment activity, you know, Aspen Dentals and the like. And his comment to me was, these young dentists, they don't like working for somebody else. They don't like working for a big corporation. They want to do it their way. Um, and, and one thing I think, and in, in I'm not, I won't pretend to be old and having great perspective. I'm 36, but I also really like reading history. Um, life is cyclical. And just as you see uh, one generation that doesn't, my generation may be re- reacting to our boomer parents' workaholism. Um, and preferring work-life balance and appearing lazy, but maybe just having different priorities from a lot of the, the um, shall we say, more experienced practice owners I work with. Um, you know, maybe it's just a different priority of, of work-life balance and not wanting to put 70 hours a week. And, and look, can you blame us? If, if we can come out of optometry school, I'm not an OD, but my, my uh, peers can come out of optometry school and, and make you know, $90,000, $100,000 a year on four days of patient care and not have management responsibilities. I mean, that's... That's not a bad deal, all things considered. Uh, so who can blame him? But Gen Z seems to be that. And also, as these companies start rolling people up, you know, what do you know? There's going to be some group of people who feel like, I don't want to work for the man anymore. Surely there's a different, more unique way to do this that gives me flu- more flexibility and control and ability to innovate and do it my way. Um, so have hope. Um, maybe this is for the 50-year-old set. But um, you know, I think that, that your exit will be there. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the next, uh, the next generation of optometry school grads uh, coming out. It seems that, you know, I think that one, the supply is going to pick up. Oh, one other note for you as well on, on demographics. So I religiously follow Review of Optometry's um, annual survey of uh, doctor income, optometrist income. Uh, from 2016 to 2017, um, and we'd, we'd seen a, a massive shortage of associates, broadly speaking, um, for for years now, you know, three five years, twenty seventeen associate wages and and they kind of leave it employed employed ODs and ophthalmology or, or optometry private practice settings they have eighteen percent year over year. Last year twenty uh, twenty seventeen to twenty eighteen wages up about five percent. So still you know indicative of a bit of a shortage probably. But I do think with um, with the new school starting to put out some grads, whatever you think about that, and, and long term trends in the supply of optometrists um at at the very least it seems like the supply of optometrists is sort of leveling off a bit um that's a good thing i think also uh practice owners are looking to sell that will be in your favor um because much like uh when when you got out of school you basically had to put out a shingle or buy in somewhere buy a practice to have a job you know some of these practice centers their only opportunities are going to be to go ahead and buy out someone and own their job so um I'm going to cut it there. There's some other things that, that, uh, that some other news that's just broke that uh, I won't comment on other than to say that another um, vertically integrated entity looks to be going retail. It should be very interesting to see what that happens there. And, and the market's changing, and it's changing very quickly. Um, one of the reasons I think that so much is going on is that there's so much opportunity. Again, I wear users up. You have, you know, however long it lasts, a geek chic trend of 
people wearing glasses and wanting to just for fashion. I'm one of those, um, you know, if we're honest. Um, but but a growing a growing category that's attracting capital. So a lot of people see opportunity. It's going to put pressure on our practices. But um, you know, I told my wife. And this is more of a fireside chat. I hope you're enjoying it. I told my wife at dinner. I think last year sometime there was a had you know one of those emails that uh, you don't understand. There's there's seven practices in my town of fifteen thousand, and don't tell me there's not an oversupply of ODs. And and I was telling her about it, just like, well, look, you know, the plural of an- one, the plural of anecdote is not data. So just because your town has too many doctors doesn't mean the country has too many doctors, which is more we're commenting on. But um, <laughs> she turned to me and said, uh, "We'll just be the best in town, and it won't matter. You'll just win." And I have to laugh. Uh, very few of you have met my wife, but that's uh, that's the attitude that gets you a PhD in biomedical engineering. Um, and uh, makes you the valedictorian of your, your class at Vanderbilt. Uh, so, but she's not wrong. Um, and, and we see it. You know, the, the cream will always rise to the top. And if your practice is better than your competition, you, I'll say this, you really have to mess up not to be successful. And I'm speaking as a finance consultant now. But by and large, from where I sit, you know, if you have a practice that, that is attracting additional patients, um, however you do it and growing your patient base and your patients like you, um, you know, and your revenues are growing and I've seen it, you know, eight, 10, 12%, one5 $2 million practices still seeing rapid growth. And it's not, not necessarily, it's not just city folks, it's suburbs and rural practices, maybe even more so. Um, if you grow like that, you really have to mess up not to be successful financially for yourself. And when you're financially successful, you have other options for your practice. There's your practice finance consulting moment. So let's cut it there. Just to summarize and wrap up, um, big ideas from this talk. One, uh, the category is growing nicely and you should feel like overall for the industry as a whole, you have a tailwind for your practice. Things are good. There are users of eye care increasing. Um, independent practices are gaining market share overall in retail sales, not necessarily on eyewear, but overall revenues, independent practices are growing. And some of that is they're taking a ton of medical share and they're basically flat on the retail. But being flat, I mean, I think a lot of us feel like um, private practices are losing ground on retail eyewear. That doesn't seem to be the case. They're probably losing share, but they are a holding serve in terms of retail um, eyewear sales. Online continues to grow, but it's not exactly gangbusters. Um, you know, again, I'm stunned that only 7.5% of Plano Sunwear is sold online. Uh, that, that's astounding to me in a lot of ways. Um, and, and vision care plans continue to gain more lives and, and they're just a reality that has to be dealt with in my view. Um, and, and most practices, you know, if you have more patients, you're pretty safe. We can figure out how to make money with those plans. I don't like them any more than y'all do. Um, I'm sure you dislike them more than I do, but I'm not a fan. But they're a reality that has to be dealt with. Um, there continues to be a narrative that you need to talk about with your staffs, especially your optical staff, that you know your consumers are hearing it from TV media, newspaper media, Warby Parker, social media. That your eyewear provider is gouging you on price, and, and they're overcharging you, and they can get the same thing for less online. And and the lie in that is that you're getting the same thing for less. And and I encourage all of you to buy your staff, give them the money, have them go buy a pair of Zenni optical glasses, have them buy a pair of Warby. Parkers, 
have them wear them for a week, a month, and actually know and get to know what's in them, how they're different from what you're selling um, and what you're prescribing and dispensing, I should say, um, and, and be prepared to make the case that, yes, it's more expensive, and you also get what you pay for. So that's one. And two, be prepared that, that you know, for many patients, there are lower-cost alternatives that are easy to get to. Do you need to put some, some packages together that give people an appropriate standard of care with your optical staff's expertise in making sure they're going to have the best optics and fit on their eyewear? Um, do you need some lower-priced options in your practice to compete and just have a walk-away deal? Um, I think it's a good idea. Uh, better that your patient buy something from you than go to Costco. It just is, and again, we can we can consult with you on that in terms of what that looks like, um, but be thinking about that. Third big idea, um, long-term looking at the space and the future of private practice. Um, Gen Z appears to be more entrepreneurial. Uh, I'm hopeful, we'll, you know, we'll believe when we see it, but hopeful that this next, um, you know, the next decade of graduates um, is much more interested in private practice ownership, and, and even the trend is, is my... Um, colleague from Wells Fargo is telling me maybe with an eye care that yes we have a season of a lot of practices getting rolled up into larger entities and then five years later a bunch of young doctors decide you know what this really isn't what I wanted to do when I went to optometry school and they go out and start their own practices so um, those are my thoughts uh, you can email me at inhaze at idoc.net um, talk to your account manager if you want to talk to me about any of the other, these ideas and how they apply to your practices but um the segment's good. I'm I'm banking on being here for another couple of decades at least, if not three. So um, I I feel good about it. I'm not trying to get out of the space. I don't think you should either. And uh, we're certainly um, bullish on the future and excited to continue to innovate how we serve you and, and help you as practice owners and, and ECPs thrive taking care of your patients and, and your families. Thanks a lot. Signing off now.